Hi, and welcome to Adventures in Ventureland, a rainmaking venture studio podcast exploring the weird and wacky world of venture building. Together, we'll interview founders and corporate innovators to explore venture building from all angles. Welcome to this episode. I'm Hattie Willis, and today I'm thrilled to welcome to Alex Manson, who heads up Standard Chartered Ventures. Still a relatively new business unit at around three and a half years old, it was set up to lead digital innovation across the banking group, invest in fintechs and other startup companies, and promote rapid testing and implementation of new business models. Alex himself has a deep background in finance. He was previously Global Head of Transaction Banking and Group Head of Wholesale Banking at Standard Chartered. And before that, he spent 12 years at Deutsche Bank, including as Global Head of Lending and Corporate Banking Coverage. He also has eight years at Credit Suisse, so he's someone with a deep understanding of how traditional banking solutions work, who is now turning his attention to rewiring the DNA of banking with his work in SC Ventures. Alex, thank you for joining us. So kicking us off, can you tell us a bit about what Santa Charter's ventures started out as? What was the idea behind the new business unit when it began two and a half years ago? So two and a half years ago, the, the idea was predominantly to create transformational impact. We're calling this rewind the DNA in banking. DNA meaning people, culture, mindset, ways of doing things and business models. And banking, all of banking, not just our bank, thinking if we do a good job, you know, the whole industry can be taken with us. And we were thinking of ways to achieve that transformational impact and came to the conclusion that a lot of the attempts at transforming a, a corporation from inside as well as from outside weren't really con- conducive to success. So very specifically, labs on their own typically disappoint if, or, or fail, partly because they disconnect different agendas. And by the same token, just investing in startups or ventures is either going to be so strategic that you end up doing not so intelligent things and justifying them because they're strategic, or it's set up in a very good way outside the corporate. And it's so well set up, it's so separate. And also doing ventures typically takes time. It's really hard, actually. It's a hard thing to do. And ultimately, at the scale of the mothership, it's not going to move the needle by itself. So the concept was one of amalgamating all those things. And the bet we're really making is that by combining um, uh, innovation inside the bank, in the lab, as well as outside the bank, in the ventures, as well as having the ability to deploy capital in the partnerships that we work with, we create a flow of you know, information, but also people, to some extent capital, that is really powerful and has a much better shot at transformative impact. So that's the C-Ventures in our show. And so you're working very much with different vehicles of innovation now. You're yes. investing as well as venture building, as well as working on that internal culture piece. Mm-hmm. And, and you've spoken about, obviously, they need different approaches. How differently do you treat those within SC Ventures? Are they very distinct? How do they interplay? I guess it's an art rather than science. The, the point is they're very different. The bank is a large corporate. It's entrenched in many ways, but there's also a lot of energy in it. There's a unique footprint with markets that we are emotionally attached to and where we have connectivity that goes back a long time. And, and there are plenty of people who want to do something. So there's an amount of channeling that energy and providing a platform for it. So people who want to step forward and do something that they have conviction in can actually step forward and, and do it, at which point we'll equip them with tools and a bit of method and, and an environment where they can try and 
work on a product or service, which may or may not become a venture, could become a product of a bank. But, mm. but you know, this element of, of, of taking SC Ventures as a platform and channeling the energy of people in the bank and doing this within the bank. Now, this is by the bank, for the bank, within the bank, very much mm. inside, right? In the same time, there's an element of doing it outside the bank, be it when we work with startups, meaning they come with different technology, but also different mindset, culture, different ways of doing things. It's really small, we're large, they're nimble, we're slow, all the stereotypes tend to apply. And, and in some ways, you know, we teach each other to work together. So they, they teach the, the big firm to be a little faster and be a little nimbler and think a little different. And, and the big firm can teach a startup to become more enterprise ready, more resilient and build processes and, and over time, even policies that they'll need as they scale. And then the ventures very much outside the bank. They're independent startups, companies. We back them, and but sooner rather than later, we'll bring in third-party shareholders, investors, partners to help us scale. And, and so they end up developing their own culture, way of doing things. But in the same time, they, they have the benefit of being backed by us, meaning that mm. there's this adjacency, which means that you know, we, we have an ability to help them scale perhaps a little faster than a startup otherwise might. And they have the ability to provide optionality, provide new ideas, a stream of not just revenue, but innovation that can flow back into the corporate. And that exchange is also very powerful. So the point is that it's an interplay between very different parts. And you're right, they behave differently, so you need to treat them a little differently. I was describing mm. innovation within the bank is really within the bank. So there's no point of thinking it's a different environment because the initiatives we have there will only really make sense and be impactful to the extent that they're ultimately adopted by the bank and scaled within the bank, at which point you know, we start transforming. Whereas the ventures, they need to preserve their independence, their way of doing things. There's an element of governance, which needs to be right, meaning they're backed by us. There's a number of shortcuts they, they're not allowed to take around mm. information security, for example, financial crime compliance. That's, you know, they're non-negotiable. But, but in the same time, there's a very different way of working, of approaching problems, the, the diversity of the team, diversity of ways of thinking, which you don't normally find in a conventional business, but is the norm in a startup mm. environment. Again, you need to deal with it very differently than you would with a business unit within the bank, for example. So you're investing in them all, whether it's the time that you put into supporting internal champions to go and do something back within the bank, whether it's actually investing time to form a pilot with a startup or financially investing and investing in connecting your ventures back to Standard Chartered. How do you treat the return on investment for each of those three things? Very different returns that you're going to get from an internal innovation yeah. versus a venture. The answer is specifically, in other words, they're different and, and therefore they have their own specific hurdles. We work with OKRs, unlike most banks or the rest of the bank, meaning that they, you know, every one of the activities and every one of the work streams have their own objective and we define key results, which are meant to be aspirational and we redefine on an ongoing basis. It's very transparent within the group, so whenever mm. someone's struggling, we can talk about it. And, and the OKRs that apply to a program of entrepreneurs, for example, very different from the ones that apply to a series of investments versus the ventures. So the program of entrepreneur will have OKRs along the lines of implementing at least X number of new products or services within the bank, which translates into key result number one will be originate X number of workshops with X number of team of entrepreneurs. So you can quantify what it is you're trying to achieve. And you can certainly put financial numbers around it. It may, it may or may not be the best way to approach it because then you're just focusing on, on an output as opposed to focusing on the input. It's very different from a portfolio of investments. They have 
normal return hurdles as in any venture capital type setup. So the restriction is really we're only investing in the partners that we work with, either within the bank or within the ventures we, you know, we build. But on that, they're very normal financial KPIs that we apply to our investments. And, and then the ventures have the OKRs, I, I guess, most startups in, in the world. The first, you know, going through the various phases of building a prototype, coming up with an MVP, testing it, iterating it. And as we go to markets, the scaling and the scaling of the venture is measured in the number of clients, the, the, the type of interaction on the platform, the type of things we do. So those OKRs become that very specific to the venture themselves. And, and we track them. I guess the fact that we're deviating from the bank system, which we definitely do, could suggest that it creates a bit of a vacuum and, and, and we don't track as much compared to what I used to do in, in a conventional business. I think we track quite a bit more in mm. terms of data, numbers, quantitative, but also qualitative data and trying to learn from it. And, and over time, building a bit of a database, which hopefully is, is rich in, in insights. The term strategic investment is used a lot and we've spoken about it in the past. When it comes to thinking about where you place your investments and where you venture build, where does the company strategy come into it? And is it different when you're placing an investment versus when you're actually venture building? Easy one first. The, The second question, yes, it's different. When we're placing investments in companies, we're really looking at capabilities, right? If they have a capability that we don't have and or think we should have, and both. And rather than trying to do it ourselves, we will partner with someone and implement that capability. So most of the startups we deal with, they have a capability that we want to integrate in either one of the bank or the ventures for some reason. Whereas in the case of ventures, it's less about the capability of the technology, which obviously we're using, and it's more about the business model. There we're experimenting with different business models. So for example, a software vendor on financial crime compliance would be a typical fintech firm that we might partner with and ultimately invest in, whereas a uh, digital bank or banking as a service business or an e-commerce platform for SMEs are you know, the different business models that we're experimenting with and, and we're looking for optionality there. So in that sense, they're completely different. It sounds like strategically, one is very near term, so you're looking for that gap that you already know you have today that you're looking to plug with a startup that already exists versus further out, maybe a different horizon, or is it very much either could fill either? Yeah, not necessarily. I know sometimes people segment things in horizons, you know, one, two, mm. three, or whichever. But I, I, I would say that you could think of investments we make, all, all sorts of horizons, and the same applies to some of the ventures. So when we partner up with quantum computing capabilities in the context of a financial markets business, for example, this is, I'm not sure if it's horizon two, three or four. I think both can be short-term or long-term. The main difference being the concept of a capability versus a business model, both of which can be more or less long-term. Every single one of the ventures have to have a business plan that we think makes sense, is, stands on its own. We have the ability to be a little more long-term minded than perhaps a business unit of the bank that is going you know, to have to justify its numbers quarter after quarter, but it has to make commercial sense. Whatever yeah. we buy has to be commercially viable in the context of the ventures as well as the investments. So I don't think of the ventures as R&D, for example. It's, it's very much commercial venture. In terms of the strategy of the bank, it's where we diverge is from the business units because at times we'll need to think differently from the business units and oftentimes cut across the business units, put some units together that normally aren't set up to, to work together, but for the purpose of, of for example, serving the SMEs the, the way they want and need to be served, we need to cut across different units of the bank. So what we're doing may, may not be aligned with the bank's business units at all. The objective from the group's perspective, from, from the overall bank's perspective, is obviously to reinvent the bank. 
and revamp the DNA. So creating optionality on revenue streams, providing optionality on technologies that can be applicable to the bank at large, creating optionality on new client segments potentially. And sometimes it's the same client segments, but it's a completely different way of approaching it. So selling products through a channel, very different from an open architecture platform, for example, where we let people transact with each other and plug in partners. Every time there's an adjacency to the bank, and the objective is that optionality to essentially create bits and pieces of new banking outside the bank and see what happens. So when it comes to specifically looking at venture building, how broad do you start for an idea? Interesting in that it's evolved. I'd say when we started two and a half years ago, a lot of the thinking we're doing was around platforms, digital banks as platforms and banks. Should we compete? Should we partner? And, and, and a lot of the ventures were articulated along these themes, meaning building digital banks, which is one scenario, or plugging our bank into someone else's platform, which is another scenario, or becoming a platform ourselves, which is a third scenario. And some of the ventures we have coming out now are essentially articulated around these themes. I think other themes came later. For example, we think digital assets are here to stay. So the idea of building infrastructure for digital assets, specifically custody for cryptocurrencies, for example, is one that I would define as a different theme. Online payments, supply chains is, is a theme we, we have conviction in. So one venture and, and then another might end up forming a bit of an ecosystem around a particular theme. Over time, perhaps it was accelerated by the lockdowns and conditions in the pandemic. So digitization being accelerated, meaning digital infrastructure is really being tested. And that's been reflected in our investments in capabilities as well as the ventures mm. as well. So investing in network management, for example, investing in uh, passwordless authentication is, is, is perhaps a sign of us evolving and adapting the themes. And then when it comes to ventures, we're thinking of capabilities that we have within the bank and perhaps take for granted, but might be externalized for mm. other banks, other parties, and, uh, and could become commercial enterprises in their own right, which we didn't start with, but we're evolving, ever evolving. I should add that there's another source of origination has really come from inside, in, inside our team and inside the bank, generally speaking. So a number of people inside our team and the bank are passionate about the specific themes, be it, for example, serving SMEs and then financial inclusion. Another theme would be sustainability, which we have a number of you know, burgeoning ideas and, and a number of which will become ventures that we will back. So, so the themes that emanate from people we deal with, either directly within the team or somewhere in the bank saying, you know, I really want to do this. I have conviction in it and I want to build something around gender diversity in supply chains, for example. And so we end up engaging. And so it may seem not related to the previous themes I was outlining, but, but it's obviously important and defines us as well. And so how big is your team? Obviously, you get those ideas within the business as well, but the people who are full-time focused in SC Ventures. It's going to sound like I'm eluding the question, but I'd like to think it's the whole bank, right? So there's a small core team, which we, we keep small in, in the lab itself. And then we support it actively full-time by a number of experts and the subject matter experts within the bank, helping us on legal compliance, risk, and the likes, which is which is a direct support team. And then where we've been growing is in the ventures themselves. So the digital banks have hired people, the, the banking as a service business, which is about to launch as a hard. So, so when you aggregate all the headcounts, we, we end up actually with a few hundred people, which is growing. Important, as I was describing it, that anyone within the organization can be an entrepreneur. And actually, we not only guarantee it's a pretty good experience, but, but I can guarantee to the business unit from which these entrepreneurs are coming, that they'll come back, not the same. They'll be changed forever because being exposed 
to a different way of thinking and being drilled into lean startup thinking and developing an MVP and iterating and, and applying to the conventional business, which is great. So the, the team at large is ourselves and then the ventures and then a whole bunch of entrepreneurs and people associated with the effort. And so to get whole bank involvement, to be able to move across business units when you need to pull on different resources from within the bank for the ventures, for the investments, mm-hmm. and also, I guess, to enable you to be able to move across themes and to pick up these ideas that are actually very people-led. In my mind, I'm hearing that involves a lot of C-suite buy-in to be able to have the autonomy to do that. How important has CEO buy-in been for SC Ventures? Super important. You're right. There's an element of a lot of people need to do things and we need them to engage. We're as valuable as the interaction we have with them. And that wouldn't happen if you weren't for the fact that everybody thinks actually that's important. And the boss is okay when we do this. <laughs> and for them to think this, it takes explicit buying and by explicit words and actions from the top of the house. I think running a lab, running a ventures effort without the backing from, from our management, you know, including but not limited to the CEO, we would be here without it. There's no question. I often see two extremes. You get the CEO incredibly bought in, the C-suite incredibly bought in, and almost reticent to let go. <laughs> and then you get the grassroots effort. And somewhere in between, I think, is probably the right balance, shockingly. But how important is autonomy then alongside that CEO bias? Also very important. So the missing word is governance, right? So you want to create a governance that creates this environment, which is not completely independent because of a lab, but reasonably independent when it comes to a venture and provides people with an ability to do things differently. And that environment, that independence, that way of doing things, those separate processes and policies are going to be critical to the ability to actually create and ultimately scale these ventures, spin them up and make them real. You want senior management to back that governance. Every now and then you want them to dive into a project and get very involved. That's really good. But it's not about senior management micromanaging venture XYZ mm. or project XYZ. That can become very counterproductive because at first you know, they're not doing what they're otherwise supposed to do. And then the projects become pet projects. And, uh, oh, meaning, they never die. <laughs> meaning they never die. And, and, and we're supposed to kill our children every now and then if they're not going to make it. Not every venture is going to, to, to make it to the next stage. Not every investment is worth supporting. So there's an element of, of creating that governance and relying on senior management to, to some extent, help design, but most importantly, support and enforce the governance we have. I'm grateful for this. This isn't to say that the governance we've created is perfect because we're, mm-hmm. we're learning all the time and there's issues, frustrations that we encounter and we need to, to improve on what we're doing. So it's, it's not to say that the governance never changes, but that governance is what allows us to build ventures and make investments. And this is where CEO support is absolutely critical. And so what are some of the learnings that you've had in the last two and a half years that you'd recommend to someone either starting out today or still testing, experimenting with their governance processes to build new ventures? So when it comes to venture building specifically, I think the governance is very much around the corporate governance of an independent startup company, meaning they're independent, that there's a management team, that management team reports to a board. As long as we're the sole backer, the the board is, we're 100% of it. But when we bring in third-party investors, that's no longer the case. There is an element of guiding as a board, but not interfering with that management team's decisions when it comes to, for example, vendor selection, when it comes to people selection, or they they get to mature as a real company. 
there's implications for this, meaning the structural resources. They don't have the endless resources of the bank. They don't have the time. We say it's like a dog's life. So one month in, in a venture is like seven months elsewhere. One year at SE Ventures is like seven years in, in a real corporate. It's a time constraint. There's an element of urgency. There's an element of resource constraint. There is. But the, the idea is to very much create that setup. I think incentives are very important. Alignment of incentives. So the venture management teams have to live and die by the venture, meaning remuneration here plays a role to the extent that people think they can have a go at it, but I have a put back into the bank if it doesn't work out. That's not going to work out. It's not conducive to genuinely committing. Straddling across the bank and the ventures is, is not ideal. It can be useful sometimes to leverage skills and people you, you can't otherwise find, but it, you, you want to be very careful with that. And, and then there's a counterbalancing aspect of it, which perhaps I haven't mentioned enough, which is for all the things I've said about independence, we're still creating ventures that are part of a group that is regulated as a financial mm-hmm. institution, meaning there's also an element of ensuring that those management teams are equipped to deal with things that they absolutely have to deal with, ranging from information security to financial crime to other requirements, which actually seem onerous to a startup on day one because somebody mm-hmm. in a garage wouldn't have to do it. I think are huge benefits in the long term because they would have to do it anyways. Yeah. And we can help them. Perhaps some of the lessons learned where we hire people from outside with entrepreneurial but less banking experience that is an element of hand-holding and explaining mm-hmm. the context for certain things they have to do and, and equipping them with the tools to do that, which we're becoming better with. But it's, a, it's certainly one of the learnings we've had for the last two years. It becomes a big value add for the lab, though, when you can shortcut tick box elements, which are just non-negotiables, and free up the founders yeah. to actually concentrate on the things that are still unknown that still need testing. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to Adventures in Ventureland. In this episode, we're speaking to Alex Munson, Head of Standard Chartered Ventures. If you're enjoying the episode, please do remember to rate, share and subscribe at the end so you never miss another episode. So what is the successful outcome for SE Ventures for a venture? What does good look like at the end? We keep redefining it as we reach some milestones, there's new milestones, but generally speaking, good looks like a rewiring the DNA in banking, meaning it transformed banking environment, it transformed bank. And we look to the combination of lab entrepreneurs, investments, and ventures. We look to that to, to essentially transform the banks, transformational impact. We could argue it's already happened in some ways, meaning we're doing things as an organization that the organization wasn't doing before and didn't really want to do before and, and or wasn't thinking of necessarily doing before because he wasn't set up to do it. For example, dealing with clients in an open architecture platform environment, that, that's not what a normal corporation does. So there's an element of, of happened via the entrepreneurs one at a time, right? Where every person joining the program and actually implementing his or her idea is going to become a very different banker going forward and that's transforming the bank and arguably building skills and a different kind of leadership, perhaps next-gen leadership for the bank. In the immediate future, I think there's a one of, of getting some of the ventures that we have announced or just launched to scale. But the reality is they're still nascent and have a lot to prove. All the all transformational impact aside and, and the things we want to believe in, the reality is it will be a bumpy road. And as these ideas and ventures scale, I think it's a lot of ensuring that, that transformational momentum is strong enough that it takes the bank with us. We joke about going from startup to scale up, as a, and that probably is what good looks like for mm-hmm. the foreseeable future. And is the goal then to reintegrate 
those scale ups once they've scaled back into the bank or is that something you're still going to test and learn what to do with them once they work the latter exactly the latter i think that there is an element of testing and learning i think it will be different depending on, on the ventures in some cases the bank may just say this should be our core business and let's integrate it back and it's mature enough to do this and that's great and in other cases at the other extreme say well that's really interesting but no thanks and let that sort of have a great life outside and perhaps keep a minority stake in it but uh, <laughs> yeah, but, but, yeah. but not get overly involved and things in between so the fact that it's adjacent to the bank provides that optionality and I, I think that's an optionality which the bank will exercise over time as we progress but I, I don't think we have a, a predefined conception of how it should be done on the investment piece so you were saying you syndicate the investment with different investors often with minority stakes that's not an approach i've seen many other corporates take to their own ventures you, you often get this very protective we want to own 100 percent if it's going to have any chance of being the future of our business yeah, so no. how did that come about that's quite brave yeah thanks yeah premises is i think we'd rather own 20% of a great thing than 100% of a small thing that isn't going anywhere. So to the extent that bringing in other parties will help us scale faster, do a better job, create a more meaningful venture, then that's absolutely what we're going to do as opposed to wanting to own it and run the risk of irrelevance this way. I wouldn't confuse strategic with 100% ownership. It's just not the same thing. Just because it's strategic doesn't mean you need to own 100% of it. And importantly, very strategic things may actually require you to not own 100% of it so you can have partnerships that are meaningful and, and mm. help you conduct your business differently. I'll give you an example. When plugging our bank, our balance sheet, our license, it's our core business, into someone else's e-commerce platform, it's, it's a partnership where the financial institution is going to accept that someone else is actually controlling the client experience and originates the client's. It's a partnership. The concept of sole ownership of the client, the concept of sole ownership of the technology, sole ownership of anything doesn't really make sense when you look at things this way. Generally speaking, with the ideas transformation, you will need partnerships from outside. And, and, and again, owning 100% of something not very meaningful is not attractive at all, neither strategic nor commercially. And I think the other thing that often gets missed is... If you're owning all of it, if it's all controlled internally, if no one else has a stake, then how can you take seriously anyone else saying it's an idea worth pursuing? Because ah, they don't have the same buy-in. They don't have any skin in the game. It's a reason we've pivoted away from charging fees. It's a hard realization because we've been doing it a long time. That, However, we thought we were trying to detach ourselves and genuinely assess whether it's a good or a bad idea until it's yeah. genuinely your startup and you genuinely are going to lose with it. You're just not able to see it in the same way as a true investment. You no, know, you follow the model where in your practice, you're remunerating yourself with equity, meaning skin in the game as opposed to fees, meaning you're incentivized to kill your own babies. Because if, if you don't think they're going to scale, grow up and become you know, beautiful adults, then there's really no point. And it's not very different in that respect. When I say venture management teams need to, to live and die by their idea, by their venture, if they're incentivized to kill their own ventures, if they don't have conviction in them, then they might as well work in the bank or do something else or get on with another venture. And that's happened plenty of times. So there's an element of validation. There's an element of conviction and skin in the game and forcing 
that choice of conviction is actually critical. I've also noticed it changes the speed, right? Because we're much quicker to say no to things that otherwise you would actually, through no ill will, you'd happily test longer because if the corporate really wants to test it, if they're really bought in, you're happy to take that lead. And we recently had actually an RFP from a client and it was really interesting. They ran us through a process. It was an idea that they'd had internally for two years. And I think it had come from their deputy CEO and they loved this idea and we looked at it for the RFP and we were alongside the usual suspects who won't name, but they all made a very similar recommendation to us that they would not invest in the idea as it stood, but they had many more routes where they would say, but we'd like to look at this a lot more. And we were the only ones to come back and, and we were very pleased that they chose us on this basis because it could have backfired, but we were the only ones who came back and said, we wouldn't look at it any longer. We looked at two weeks. That's enough for us to say we wouldn't invest. So we're not going to spend more time looking at this when we'd rather look at other opportunities that we're more likely to invest in. Yeah, well um, done. So, so time boxing things. And when dealing with ideas, sometimes dealing with startups looking for funds or looking for a partnership, we, we can never commit to, to work with them and, and implement them and invest in them, but we can commit to time box the process. And no because is sometimes a more helpful answer than yes, maybe. And I think it comes back to this slight misconception that there's one or two really good ideas that you should just double down on. And actually, there's the op- you're missing the opportunity cost. There's probably a load of other ideas you could have found in the same time. There's not one answer. It's not a yes or no question in yeah. terms of is this the venture that's going to make it for us or is it this one? It, it could be any number of variables. Just pulling back, I wanted to touch a bit more on, on talent as well because I think yeah. it, it's actually very related in terms of how the people who are running the venture see the process in terms of how long they'll give an idea, how much they'll give an idea of their blood, sweat and tears, as well as their nine to five. So how do you approach finding the right talent for these ventures? Where do you find them from, first of all? So the key word is going to be diverse, meaning diverse in many different respects. And when it comes to ventures, it's, by the way, all axes of diversity as as we normally used to, but also ways of thinking inside the bank, outside the bank, entrepreneurial mindsets, understanding a regulated financial institution where relevant, it's not relevant for all of the ventures, but a lot of them is in our case. And in hindsight, where we've had too much emphasis on outsiders only, where we've had too much emphasis on insiders only, we've ended up having to rectify that balance of diversity. The diversity of putting together entrepreneurs, technologists, designers, and bankers in a room is interesting. These types don't actually like to hang out together, which is what diversity is all about. You're forcing people who don't normally hang out together to actually work together and, and it becomes powerful. So that probably is the key word. I'd say most of the ventures, once they get to a certain scale, they have a healthy mix of insiders and outsiders. They have a healthy mix of these skill sets. We have just gone through some of them from finance to technology with design and other things in the mix. They importantly need an element of Conviction, being purpose-driven enough to accept the fact that it's going to be a bit less of a salary and a bit more of residual interest and equity upside Mm. and really dedicating the foreseeable 
future of my life to this idea, which is not necessarily a type that is prevalent in large corporations, but I would say increasingly. So when it's laid out clearly and, and, and when we avoid the ambiguity of you can be a little bit here, but also a little bit there, finding the intersection of someone who's a competent, credible banker and has the purpose and the will to live and die by a venture that is a rare and incredibly valuable intersection when we find these individuals we actually we just harm it (laughs) 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 and then find something for them to do i was just going to add that this is the scarce commodity in in a market that has been conducive to startups and, and, and venture capital it's the scarce commodity has been people like the ones I've described, as opposed to capital or even partnerships or capabilities or, or technology. Scarce commodity has been equal. And of course, that's what you would expect. You back the individuals before you really back the ideas or the businesses. I think the challenge with corporate venture building, as you spoke about, is you're trying to get the middle ground of a Venn diagram that is really hard. So you want someone with corporate experience, they've got the deep domain knowledge, who typically is incentivized by salary and security, historically, moving more towards more comfortable with equity splits increasingly, which is great, but who doesn't have experience of the kind of speed and pace that a startup would expect. And so if you go there alone, you really struggle. And then you have the founder who wants equity and that big win and you know a team who will work stupid hours with them as well and buy into it in the same way. And historically, you've had corporates not being able to attract that kind of founder talent because they're not willing to give up equity. And and that's skin in the game matters for these kind of founders. So they can't get the kind of muscle memory of starting something very quickly. Or you get the corporate lifers who they don't change the incentives. So you get people who are incredibly talented and know their domain, but they're still operating as you said, as if it's a project they can leave and go back into the bank if it fails. And so they don't have the urgency. You end up getting the worst of both worlds, I found. Yeah. Whereas with the right governance and, and environment, you can get the best of both worlds. And that's where diversity comes in. Because the reality mm. is it's very rare to find all these types in one individual, meaning you need to assemble different kinds of individuals and make them work together. I think the words you just said, the corporates not being able to attract the founder type because they won't skin the game is very profound, it's very true. It's not so much that founders really want to make a killing every time, it's mm. they want to have an impact. They want the skin in the game, right, more than anything. And their frustration in large corporate environment is not just politics. They can deal with politics, okay. they feeling that they're not having that impact, that part of the big machine. And so providing an environment where, where you can attract entrepreneur type and give them that skin in the game, give them that opportunity for impact in the same time as coupling them with domain expertise. The, the governance is important, incentives, the ability to give equity in a venture and in the right balance, ultimately attracting the, the types that we need in order to make the venture successful. It's arguably the most difficult thing for a corporate to get their arms around it mm-hmm. because it, it, it's a big exception to some of the rules that we've historically set for ourselves terms of how we remunerate people, how we incentivize them, and the kind of values we want them to espouse. It creates really interesting dynamics sometimes. But you have to be willing to manage the challenges in order to create these things. Absolutely. And I don't know if you can give us a ballpark of 
how many ventures have now come out of SC ventures that you've started. But also if there are any other lessons, we've spoken about governance, incentivization, talent. Are there any other lessons and challenges that you'd highlight for someone who's either looking to start doing this within a corporate or corporates just trying to learn from other corporates doing this already? First order of magnitude, again, we're still a nascent organization. So two and a half years down the line, you know, I want to say some, some 20 ventures, of which between five and 10, I want to say eight, have either just launched and are in the process of scaling or are about to launch in the early part of this year. And then on the back of this, another 10 that are building and scaling. And at the other end of the spectrum, it can be you know, a couple of individuals building a prototype to see they'll get backing from us to get to the next stage. So the different stages in the development cycle. But it's turned into a portfolio of ventures as opposed to just one or two ideas, which is really, really nice to see. Look, in terms of advice, we've talked about support from the top. We've talked about incentivization, people, talent, governance, you know, all those you know, set up, all these important things. I, you know, I think the main thing is perhaps assuming it will be really hard <laughs> because it will, meaning those things don't happen by themselves. The whole conversation we've had is about reconciling things that are not meant to work together, meaning an entrepreneurial environment versus an established corporate environment, meaning you know, the types of individuals. So they're very challenging situations. And I just reflect on, on the fact that nobody told me it'd be that hard. I don't think it'd change anything, but, but, but it's difficult. If you're going to embark on something that is challenging, I think the purpose is super important. Knowing why you're doing it and ideally having a team that shares that purpose and understands the importance, the urgency of getting behind it. Because it's, you know, a lot of ideas sound like, you know, it's a cool thing to do and why not? Let's get on with it. Mm. But three months down the line at four in the morning when nothing's working, it's the testing times in the ventures, in SC ventures, in the investment team, you know, everywhere. And so it's, mm. it's, so you need to have a good sense for why you're doing it in the first place. And I think yeah. that applies to all of us humans. And do you have a sense of how much would you recommend should be done all at once? Because actually you're doing three very different activities at once, which potentially adds to the challenge, but has a ton of advantages to being able to move talent. So, so what do you think about that piece? Um, I'm very wary of sequential processing, which is, which is exactly how you do things when you optimize operations. In other words, do this once you know that you can do that. Or once you've reached that milestone, then let's talk about the next thing. And, uh, and so for a, a trained manager, as I have been in a, in a large organization, it's very intuitive to want to process things sequentially. It's safer, but more importantly, this is what you do when you optimize for efficiency. In the transformation business, you don't optimize for efficiency because if you don't know where you're going, there's no point going there efficiently. Mm. You optimize for creation and optionality, meaning you need to do things in parallel. And yes, it does add to the challenge, but it also creates dynamics that can be very productive because what you learn in one work stream can be very useful in, uh, in the other work stream. And you, you end up discovering points of connection and synergies that you didn't expect necessarily. So you, you want to do things together as much as possible. But again, for any self-respecting, well-organized corporate organization, it's very counterintuitive to do that. And it's just at an individual level, it's hard. <laughs> you're you're up right, the right. challenge. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it keeps it interesting as well, yes. Uh, so my final question, where are you focusing 
this year? What's next for you? What are the challenges that you're really intent on solving next? Well, I've touched on it before a little bit. It's a direct consequence of where we are. With some ventures just coming out, we need them to scale. Where some ventures that are about to come out, so there's an element of executing on things which we've been working on, which obviously is a big focus. The word I've used jokingly was from startup to scale up. And this is how I think about the focus for this year. So getting those startups that are just about to scale up, but getting ourselves to scale up to some extent and taking the bank with us as we do that. You know, a little different from day one where nobody owes you a living and you have to get a few things done to even justify that you exist. Now that we exist and people are supportive actually and, and want us to succeed and, and there's momentum for it, stay the bank with us because this is what we create, that scaling effect, which is, is very powerful if we get it right. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing so candidly. We'll have to check back in a year and see how scaling up is going. Yes. <laughs> looking forward to that hopefully we'll speak before that but <laughs> 100% thank you for listening to this episode of Adventures in Ventureland we hope you enjoyed it if you did please remember to like share and subscribe so you never miss another episode